It is time for another episode of the Apple Circle podcast. I have to say that I was impressed, Matt. Those Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals on Apple products were really good. Not from Apple themselves, but I think that from Amazon and Best Buy and other online retailers, you could get some really good deals on lots of things, AirPods included. I think I saw AirPods 2 for under $100, which was crazy yep. to see, but a uh, lot of uh, crazy deals going on in the Apple world, and that's about it. The deals are the best part <laughs> of sort of the tech news cycle these days because there is just no news going on. But as always, we are going to break down lots of cool topics this week and uh, sort of discuss uh, some other things in the world of Apple that are interesting, including some of the latest leaks and rumors as well. But of course, as always, we want to hear from you guys. If you guys have a question, a comment, you have some feedback, we actually got a really good question this week we're going to discuss uh, in a moment. Uh, we want to hear from you. Let us know by dialing into the Apple Circle hotline or giving us uh, a voicemail or a text. 949-354-3508 is the number. We'll have that linked in the show notes. Of course, you can call in, you can leave us a message, you can text that number. Uh, we just sort of love to hear from you guys and love to hear your thoughts and opinions. And uh, we've got some good stuff to talk about today. Uh, Matt, anything exciting on your end happened last week? Anything you want to report or is it <laughs> no. just did you, same did old, you... same old? Yeah, same old, same old, pretty much. Uh, with those deals, though, did you pick up anything that's worth mentioning? There's only one uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday deal that I'm always on the hunt for. Well, I guess two. One is not as exciting. One is more exciting. One is I always like renew my PS Plus membership during this mm, time because you can yeah. go on like CD keys and like it's like 30 bucks. Uh, but the only one that I actually take advantage of that is like limited time is the Hulu deal because you can get the Hulu ad plan, which is kind of whatever for a dollar a month for a year. So for yeah, 12 bucks no, a year, you get go. access yep. to Hulu. I think it's normally six bucks a month. So for me, there's nothing really on Hulu that I watch every month per se, but just to have access to it for a dollar, 12 bucks a year, totally worth it. So that was the well, only yeah, deal totally I picked up. What about you? Uh, yeah, I know. I didn't buy anything. I, I was on the hunt for maybe a TV, but didn't end up getting it. The sale's still going, so who knows? It might happen, but yeah, I didn't pick up anything. I did see, speaking of AirPods, which we mentioned at the beginning, the, the best AirPods deal I think I saw was AirPods Pro for $159 from Amazon and Walmart. That, I Crazy. mean, that's a killer deal. Um, if I didn't already have AirPods Pro, I would definitely buy them. I was like, who can I buy this? Like, who needs AirPods Pro? But, uh, I didn't end up buying any. But. It's a great gift. And also to your point as well, can we just say that TV prices are like crazy around Black Friday, Cyber Monday, especially OLEDs. I know we're both sort of drooling over the I OLEDs almost pulled the trigger. LG. It's, <laughs> yeah. They're getting better and better in price. I mean, normally the price, I think they're like, let's say 2, a 65 inch is like 2000, 22, yeah. 24. For Black Friday, you can get it for like what, 18, 1700 bucks. Yep. I, I was think looking that at the if, LG C1 65 inch for $17.99. Costco had that deal, Best Buy had that deal, and I'm sure everywhere else had that deal because they kind of price match each other. But that's a good that's a good price. What's crazy too is that if like things, I guess in the normal sort of tech world progress, the next year it's gonna be what? If it's seventeen this year, eighteen hundred bucks this year, maybe fifteen hundred bucks next year. I mean that's uh, OLEDs are definitely yeah. getting more affordable. That's part of why I didn't pull the trigger because it's like theoretically this is just only gonna get cheaper and cheaper, even though OLEDs have been expensive for a long time. But yeah. I didn't end up buying anything. Who knows? I'm still having a little bit of FOMO. Maybe I'll go back and pick up the TV, but eh, we'll see. But let's get into what do you want to talk about? I think this question is actually worth mentioning up front because this is a really good question. I agree. Talking about 
uh, something we mentioned in last week's episode about rumors and more specifically the renders. So this is from Nick. He's from Canada. And he said uh, he's just wondering, do you think some of the renders, the rendering people are actually contributing to Apple's design and not getting credit for it? Um, because realistically, they're this is what he says. Realistically, they're doing part of the designer's job for them. Just wondering your thoughts on that. Uh so there's a lot of different angles to go there. I think just to answer the question up front, I'm going to say no, not really, at least for the renders that we were talking about in terms of the rumored products upcoming, like this new MacBook Air or the new iPhones. I'm not sure how much these renders actually contribute to Apple's design only because these renders come from Apple's design. So they already have those designs in the works. Now, there is something to be said, though, about Apple stealing or let's say, quote unquote, borrowing ideas from other people. And that happens actually pretty frequently. And it even has its own term. It's called being Sherlocked. Uh, and that comes from back in the day. I actually brought it up here just to make sure I had all the facts right. But back in the day, back in the Mac OS 8 and 9 days, the this is before Spotlight. There was a app that Apple had built into Mac OS called Sherlock. And then when they went to Mac OS 10, there was a third party app called Watson. And in Mac OS 10, Apple just basically stole all the features of Watson and integrated it into Mac OS. There we go. It's called Sherlocked. And they do that for a lot of things. Some of the most popular apps that have done that. Uh, iTunes came from something called iPodder X. Uh, let's see. Desktop widgets, like what you used to have in Tiger. Uh, that came from confabulator i'm just reading some of these here but basically there oh i actually you know here's a good one that i remember using back in the day uh for I, i'm sure you use this too but it's called growl and this was getting some push notifications mm -hmm. onto your system which now is built in and i actually wish i could turn off now <laughs> but it uh, this happens a lot um but i don't think it's necessarily for the design of the actual products i guess it's possible but i'm not i think it's more for a lot of cool features yeah, and there seems to be sort of two different concept artist groups that I've seen, at least on YouTube. There are the concept render artists who sort of either have exclusive info on Apple products, like uh, Renders by Ian, who works with John Prosser, and going off of CAD files or specific images he's seen exclusively, he will sort of recreate to the best of his ability and does a really great job the actual product to sort of show off the real thing. So there are those that are trying to model real products based off of real information. And then there are those who are sort of giving us concept renders based off of just cool things. There are tons of really great like hype videos on YouTube <laughs> that are iOS concepts or iPhone concepts or crazy iPhone concepts. Um, these are also cool as well. And I think that the people who make these probably understand that they're not making them uh, to try to win any awards from Apple or trying to give away Apple uh, some ideas or anything. I think they're mainly just trying to do it for fun, and they do a really good job, and it's a great way to sort of practice your skills. Uh, but I will say, although Apple shouldn't give them credit necessarily, I do think that us as consumers should definitely give them credit because the videos you see on YouTube, including Apple Circle videos, would not be nearly as interesting, as exciting, or as like visually stimulating if it wasn't for these concepts and renders, and not just the renders themselves, but the artists willing to put in the time to do it and then share it on YouTube for everybody to sort of see. So uh, credit where credit is due, probably not credit from Apple to these uh, concept artists, but certainly from those of us who love leaks and rumors, it is really cool to sort of watch 
uh, these products come from just like photos and like weird Photoshop sketches to like actual like 3D models that sort of move in space. And there's these cool animations. So I love them. I love to see them. I even love to see those crazy concepts. But uh, I think that Apple usually is not looking for any more publicity. They're probably just looking to sort of keep things uh, status quo. And uh, they've uh, got their own design teams internally that are making all these decisions. They don't need to go scour the web to find uh, better ideas. But like to Matt's point, there are a number of really good apps that have sort of gotten merged in for one reason or another to Apple products that uh, that is not so uh, not so fun. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you would think that with all these crazy renders that that would probably have some influence and i'm sure there is that time when someone sees a new product or let me let me rephrase that when someone at apple who works in the design team sees something crazy on youtube is like huh maybe we could try that maybe that would work whether or not it ends up looking anything like that that's a whole different story um but to say that you know this wouldn't have any effect at all I think is not exactly true. This is not in the Apple space exactly, but I was just uh, looking it up here. There's a YouTuber by the name of Shamook, uh, S-H-A-M-O-O-K. And when The Mandalorian came out to the last season, spoiler alert, it's been out for a while, but uh, Luke Skywalker was there and they did some computer generated imagery to make him look younger and make it look like it was Luke from that time period rather than how old um, Luke is now. Uh and they did an okay job, Disney, but it wasn't that great. So Shemuk did a deep fake of that video, and it looked a lot better, or at least noticeably better. And he actually got hired by Disney to work on the next version of The Mandalorian, or at least work for Disney and work on these things. So it's like, these companies obviously see this stuff. If it gets a lot of traction, there's definitely some... Uh, basically, let's just say this. They're watching, the companies are watching... Is there any effect? I'm sure there is, but does it end up being like a full product that you saw a render of like 10 years ago? Probably not. And I will say to your point, Matt, yes, Apple is always watching. And sometimes the response that you're expecting is not always positive. We no, had just heard <laughs> from Jerome, concept creator, who's a really talented, uh, does amazing work. He's a concept artist on YouTube. And I think he does some other stuff. He got a, I think it was a cease and desist from Apple because of the renders he was doing. I know Ben Gaskin, another concept render artist. I don't know if he does uh, renders, but he, well, I guess he does uh, 2D visual uh, renders like photos. Uh, he got something as well. Apple is definitely keeping tabs on these people and paying attention, uh, but sometimes the responses are not, hey, great job. We love your work. Let's pay you and come work <laughs> exactly. with us. It's hey, stop what you're doing because you're uh, building false narratives or spreading false information about products that aren't out yet or you're sharing information about, I forgot what they said. It was like, uh, we're not going to confirm that what you have is true, but just stop sharing that because we don't want yeah. you to do that. It's it's a little bit of a murky water. So I think that if you want to create these concept and renders for fun, do it. But uh, Apple's always watching. Do not well, forget that. And it makes sense. I mean, it's a trillion dollar company. And we have talked about this multiple times on the podcast when the new Apple event happens and we're expecting something, which almost always comes from these renders. We're kind of expecting something very similar to that and it ends up not being that. Then there's a lot of disappointment. And then that kind of goes to the next layer of with all the content that's being shared about it. So there's always the, the idea that it's disappointment rather than really exciting. So, I mean, theoretically, this could cost Apple a lot of money in the end. Um, so they want to really control that narrative as much as they can. And even if, even if the renders that they're trying to 
uh, cease and desist uh, are not correct and they're completely wrong. It still is creating a narrative around a product that they don't necessarily want. But point being, they're watching, so <laughs> uh, both good and bad. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that such a big company is uh, so deep in the trenches with like us plebs down here. But no, they're there. They're watching. They're paying attention. So here's a question for you, Matt, sort of to that point on that note. Uh, and this is one that I was thinking about. Uh, we do pitch meetings uh, internally at the JFL Network for all the different channels, for the John Reitinger channel, for the Apple Circle channel, for Snapchat and stuff. And this is one of my pitches for this week, so I thought I'd sort of get your take on this. Uh, and maybe it'll still turn into a video. Uh, it was interesting. Mark Gurman had his weekly Power Up newsletter. If you're not subscribed, it's free. It's great. He like has all his insights into the world of Apple. Um, but he was talking about how Apple might change their product release cycle or at least the time from announcement to release with some of these new products because they're going to have to undergo so much extensive public testing and regulatory mm. filing and stuff that Apple's probably going to do what they have done in the past on a number of occasions where they announce something and they tease it, but they don't release it. So this happened with the Apple Watch. That was like one of the most famous modern examples. It happened with the Mac Pro kind of, but that... Maybe it wasn't really ready. It that wasn't really because Pro, of actually. filings can, and stuff. Yeah, the yeah. trash can and the current one that we have, they announced it at WWDC, I think, both both times, and then it didn't come out for a long time. But yeah, I think that's more just to get the hype going because people were getting a little yeah. antsy. <laughs> but if you think of modern iPhones and now modern Apple Watches, Apple does kind of the same old, same old every year where they announce it and then they release it like within a week or two. So there's not like this six month gap like the original iPhone. And the reason is uh, kind of in the beginning is because there were so many, like I just said, filings and regulatory approvals they have to go through that this stuff would eventually leak. So Apple wanted to get ahead of those leaks and then announce it and then uh, release it a little later on down the road. And what Mark Gurman was saying is that Apple's probably going to have to do that with the mixed reality headset and the Apple car, that there is just Definitely. too much with these projects. There's so much involved that they can't go through all the filings and expect nothing to leak and then announce it and release it. So... That kind of got me thinking, what if Apple changed their strategy with the iPhone? I don't think they'd probably ever do this, but I could see some pros and cons to this, where maybe they sort of poked fun at the leaks a little bit like Google, which sort of fully embraced leaks. Maybe they wouldn't go that extreme. But what if they sort of teased the iPhone 14 or a WWDC, they showed off one or two of the cool features, and then they released it later on in the fall? That would sort of... Um, I guess it's hard because it would build up hype, which would be great. It would sort of take all the air out of the room for the leaks and the rumors and the renders because there's no need for that because Apple's showing it off themselves. But there's always this concern that it could cannibalize iPhone sales moving forward in the fall, that if people know that there's a new iPhone that was previewed in June coming in October or September, that it would sort of not lead to a lot of sales or less sales because people are waiting for the next big thing, which... The more I think about that argument, the more I don't know if it's true because people know every single year that new iPhones are coming in September or October, yet for most average people, they're still buying iPhones seemingly yeah. like normals. So I don't know if that's really true, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's any benefit for Apple to sort of shift up their strategy, you know, kind of because of these renders and these leaks and these rumors to sort of combat that? They're just going to start previewing, previewing the products and sort of showing it off early and then releasing it a couple months later. Yay, nay, 
What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, for certain products, I think that makes sense. Like this mixed reality headset that we're expecting. That's kind of why I, when they say like, oh, we're going to see it next year in 2022. I'm like, it seems still really early, but it makes sense for them to announce. Here's what we're working on because we have to test it. So for those kind of products, it makes a lot of sense. For the iPhone, though, at this point, like, like why? There's Is there anything in that that is really so, uh, let's say, exciting that we really need to pre-announce it like i i don't know I, i'm not against it necessarily but i don't think it really would benefit the iphone in particular uh they have kind of actually done that in some certain ways though for instance the iphone 12 with the a5 no a14 processor the ipad air which was announced at a previous event announced the a14 processor i believe that's i believe i'm getting these products right before the iPhone, and we all knew that processor was then going to be put in the iPhone, and they had never done that before. They had never, the the flagship new processor was always announced with the iPhone, and they announced it with the iPad first, and we all knew that that was coming to the iPhone. So in a way, they were like kind of uh, not holding back. We knew that that was going to be happening, and they didn't have a problem mentioning it. They obviously didn't mention the iPhone at all, but we knew that's what was happening. So it seems like it's more, I think from Apple's perspective, they're not afraid to pre-announce things if they need to. It's just more like, is it going to benefit the products that they're currently working on? So for instance, that iPad, they needed to announce the iPad. So they announced it with that new processor, even though technically that was a leak for the upcoming iPhone. Uh, and then this mixed reality headset, they're probably going to announce it, even though they're not going to be for sale for probably a long time. If, if not years, then at the very least a few months. Um, so uh, yeah, I think Apple's not afraid to do that. I don't know how much benefit there would actually be, though. A solid argument. Totally, totally agree with that. Uh, the only other tidbit of Apple news for the week worth mentioning, because, again, it's been an incredibly busy week, meaning there's been nothing, um, is that Apple did announce a uh, MacBook Pro upgrade program, sort of, 30 bucks a month for a MacBook Pro. Matt, how does that work, and who can actually take advantage of that? So I was going to ask you how it worked because <laughs> because I've, I looked into it and it seems it's basically a business. Uh, if you have a business account with Apple, then you can take you can take a you can use this for your advantage for your company. The idea here is basically, you know, you have a company of 30 people, say, uh, and you need to buy everyone computers. Well, that is a very expensive endeavor, especially if you want to get these high-end laptops. Uh, well, then Apple's going to let you kind of do an upgrade program type of thing where 30 bucks a month starting, you can then get these laptops out to your company. And then when the new ones come out, you can kind of do the swap. It very much seems similar to the iPhone upgrade program, um, but it's more for businesses. The question I have, though, is, you know, how easy is this going to be to do? And then if, let's say, you or I wanted to sign up for a business account, would we be able to do that? Well, the weird thing I saw right off the bat is that there's a difference here between this and the iPhone upgrade program. The iPhone upgrade program is financed through a different company. Um, it's by, what is it, Citizen Bank, Citizen, Citizen One. One. They do the financing. Yeah. But it's all very much mostly through Apple. It's very pretty. It's very easy. You go yeah. through the program. Apple kind of holds your hand through it. It's very easy. This one, when I click the link in the Mac Rumors article, takes you directly to this third-party financing company. Like City, right? Or it's like not like yet. It's not even through Apple. And it, what it seems like from kind of reading the terms is you get financing secured through them, and then they put the purchase order in through Apple, and then you get the product. So it's very much different where it seems like Apple is a little bit more hands-off. 
and this sort of third-party financing company is kind of going through. Basically, it seems like you're just sort of having to apply for financing for the amount of the laptop, and then you're sort of paying whatever it is, 30, 40 bucks a month. And then at some point, you could either return the uh, laptop or you could upgrade or something like that. But don't expect this to be as seamless as the iPhone upgrade program because it's for businesses. It's going to be a little bit more complicated. And to your point, like you just said, Matt, it's for businesses. So something to keep in mind is that I think that one of the requirements is I don't know what the whole bank uh, requirements are. I don't know if you have to have a business account in order to to apply for financing and stuff like that, but you probably do need to create a, a business account with Apple themselves, which isn't necessarily hard to do. You think you no, can do one for easy, free. Yeah. I think I had created one a long time ago when I was still in high school and I still have it. So you don't have to have like a multi-million dollar business or whatever <laughs> to make it. You can make it for free. Um, but I just don't know. I'd have to look and see what the restrictions are and stuff and what the terms are because I can't imagine that there's a loophole here for people to go in and get a laptop for cheap. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of hoops you have to jump through and probably not worth it. Um, and I guess to that point, if someone did want to get a cheap MacBook Pro, what are the options these days for saving money on a new Mac? Well, actually, before we get to that, I was going to ask you, do you know if is, is this the upgrade program? Where where the, when the next computer comes out, you will then be able to get the new one for the same kind of rolling price, or is it just financing? I don't. When it first I came out, know. it made it sound like it was an upgrade program. I don't know, but I don't think so. I think it is the latter, not the former. I think this is just a strictly a financing thing. Like, hey, look, you can get a laptop for thirty bucks, but you're basically just financing it. This is not the upgrade program where, hey, the new one comes out or. Uh, let's say you get the MacBook Pro now, the iMac Pro comes out. I don't think you could just like send your MacBook Pro back and get the iMac. <laughs> that's the dream. I don't think that's how it works. That's the dream. But this is more of like a small business leasing financing thing, which again, Apple already, already had, had a leasing that. program. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the difference is with that and this. Just know that when you see the headlines about a $30 MacBook Pro, it's not really $30. There's a bunch of other stuff that goes into it. Well, yeah, exactly. So I guess going back to your initial question, though, of how to get the best deals on some of these computers, because obviously they're very expensive. And I think for most people, you're not upgrading all that often. It's a every once a couple years at the at the most. Uh, so you want to you know make sure you're getting the most out of your investment. I think kind of going along with this business account thing, the easiest way or Maybe not the easiest, but the way to kind of do that without having a business account is to use the Apple Card. They have 0% financing with the Apple Card. Great point. So you can buy the MacBook Pro or the iMac or whatever computer you need. And for a monthly payment with no interest, you are able to pay that off. Um, you know, whether or not you should be using credit cards to do all that kind of stuff, that's a whole different story. But it is an option that they definitely push on you. They want you to use that option every time you go to check out for anything on their site. They say, hey, you can use the Apple Card and get 0% uh, financing on this product. It's an option. Now, I think the other way to do that is, one, you know, wait around for Black Friday deals or holiday deals like we just kind of went through. I didn't really see any uh, great deals, especially on these new products. I'm sure they were out there. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, for instance, the M1 MacBook Air uh, goes on sale for like 800 bucks, which is a great deal for that computer, you know, down from 999 to 800 bucks. Excellent deal. Um, so, you know, obviously looking out for deals. Uh, but one interesting way that I think a lot of people forget about, and maybe there's some misconceptions around it, is to buy a refurbished Mac. Uh, you know, you, you hear refurbished, and I think a lot of people instantly just hear used. And while technically that's true, I think there's a lot more that goes into it, especially if you're buying from Apple, but even if you're buying from other retailers. So what what is the refurbished process? And, and have you ever bought a refurbished product? 
I have not done it personally, but I have known people who have done it. And one of the benefits of going through Apple is that they take their refurb program very seriously. One of the things, I think there's a number of things Apple does, but one of them is like, these are basically like very lightly used computers. I think usually they're like returns that come in with return windows and Apple at least they were doing this at one point. I don't know if they still do this, but they were like replacing the entire outside case. So they were giving yep. you a whole new case, all new peripherals. Everything was new. You basically were saving not a significant amount of money, but a noticeable amount of money to bucks, get a maybe. slightly, yeah, a slightly used computer with like brand new casing, like no defects, no blemishes. This is not some computer that someone dropped in the parking lot, then brought back in and Apple resold you. Uh, they have very high standards with their refurb. And I think that there's still a, not only a warranty with refurb products, but yep. I think, can't you buy Apple Care with refurb too? I believe so. I think I Apple think... treats it kind of as like a regular product yeah. that is just slightly used. And going on top of that, they replaced the whole case. Or like you said, they used to do this. I'm pretty sure they still do this. They also replaced the battery. So you don't have to worry about like all these cycles that maybe the person before used. For all intents and purposes, this is a new computer. And if Apple does like open up the computer and sees like a, a defect that they're not willing to fix, they're not going to sell it in their refurbished site. Because when you get this computer... Basically, the difference is the box it comes in is not the retail box. It's like a white box. And then when you open up the actual device, it's perfect. It's, it's going to work exactly the way you want it to. And like you said, comes with a warranty. So if there is anything wrong, like they're going to fix it. And that's sort of the pro and con here is that the pro is that you're getting still a really great Apple experience. The stuff's all brand new. It works great. Great. But also the con is you're not saving that much money. So don't expect any deep discounts through Apple's refurb store. Now you can go through other refurbished stores like Best Buy and other um, big box retailers and then save some more money, but they're not doing all the things that Apple had done. They're not replacing anything. These are just like straight up returns. So you're sort of sometimes taking a gamble on those products. Um, but as I sort of thought about this, as we sort of put the notes together, one of the interesting things that I think about more and more is how used Macs are sort of changing and how it used to be that you could buy an older MacBook Pro and you could swap in an SSD, you could upgrade the RAM, you could do all that stuff. Not only is it more difficult to do that because all these parts are now solid state, but now with this transition to Apple Silicon and Apple Silicon being so much better, it's almost hard to justify even for those savings to pick up an older Intel-based MacBook Pro. I guess if you're not doing a whole lot of crazy stuff and you're just browsing the web and doing word processing, that's fine. But it's more and more apparent to me that you got to look at the two prices to see what the difference is. Because in a lot of ways, even if you're doing basic things, the M1's still going to be faster. Battery life's going to be crazy. It's just sort of harder and harder to find and justify the price of a used Mac because things are changing so rapidly and Apple Silicon maybe is a really good value these days and is just so good. Exactly. And especially when you're looking at the MacBook Pros, like if you're if you're looking at one of those laptops, I mean, the idea of buying a 16 inch or a 13 inch MacBook Pro with an Intel chip when you know for I mean, honestly, let's be real. If you're getting a two year old laptop, it's not going to be that much cheaper than the updated M1 computers, at least in my opinion. When I've looked, they're not the discounts aren't that heavy unless there's something actually wrong with the product. So the idea of buying that computer right now, just mm, it, it, it's a tough one to recommend. Of course, obviously all the stipulations, if you absolutely need a computer, this is all you can afford. That's a whole different story. But if you have options and you're just trying to decide which is the best to buy, it's tough right now. That being said though, if you're look, if you're not looking at the current MacBook Pro, the 
most recently updated and you just kind of want a, a good computer, the M1 MacBook Air and the M1 MacBook Pro, uh, they've been out for a little while. So there are definitely some used options on that. And like I said, there are some sales that go on with those computers pretty often. So, you know, that's probably the angle to go with the M1 or Apple Silicon computers right now is look at those ones that first came out. When in terms of like, I mean, there's no chance I'm recommending anyone get the Intel MacBook Air that just came out before the M1. Like there's no, there's no way. I'm never going to well, recommend that. That's what's so hard too is that if you are looking to get a new uh, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, you can go on eBay, you can look at the listings and stuff like that. And even for a couple hundred bucks, you can get, you know, an Intel MacBook Air, but it's like, do you really want to get that? Because you know Intel's on the way out, especially with Apple products and Apple sort of first-party services. There are already new things that are only Apple Silicon exclusive in terms of features in the OS that you just can't do on older products. And it's just like, in a way, maybe it's just better to sort of save more money or just wait a bit and either buy a refer from Apple or buy a new just because it was always hard before to justify the value with Apple products because you were basically getting the same thing, but it was nicer and prettier in the ecosystem and stuff like that. But now with these custom Apple Silicon chips being so good, so efficient, so powerful that they do on their own give a whole lot of value, maybe even enough to sort of justify now more than ever the price increase by going with Apple. It's not pleasant. It's not as nice as going with a cheaper Windows laptop. But if the difference was four or 500 bucks, I think in most cases, it's probably worth it to go with one of those newer laptops, new or used. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I guess another angle on that, well, here, let me first say this. My philosophy about buying these products is like, once you reach a certain threshold of price, it's probably worth spending the extra $300, $500 for the better option because if you're like me, if you're like Robert, if you're like most people, when you're buying a computer, this is an investment that you know is expensive. It's expensive. We all know these computers cost a lot of money, but you're also not planning to buy one next year again. You're planning for this to last as long as it possibly can so that that investment really pays off. And if you're, I, I totally get the argument, well, I can only afford this computer. And unless, and that makes perfect sense, unless you can actually, or unless you need the computer right now you have to buy it for whatever you're, you're starting school tomorrow you need the computer that is perfectly fine spend what you can on a computer you're gonna love it that that's a whole different argument but if you can if you can wait a few more months and save some more money it's worth that extra money i think most of the times mainly with computers when it comes to a lot of other products there's different arguments but when it comes to macs and the laptops and that kind of stuff I think it actually is worth the extra money because you know you're going to be keeping that computer for longer. And now with Apple Silicon, potentially you can keep it for a lot longer. Whereas if you go for the Intel route, you might not be able to keep it for very long at all. So you might actually be spending more money in the end. Obviously, we don't know because that track record just isn't there yet. But there's a lot to consider here. The other thing I was going to say, though, is an interesting kind of counter angle to this is Maybe you shouldn't buy the 16-inch MacBook Pro with M1 Max. Maybe you shouldn't buy the M1 MacBook Pro because the performance to cost ratio of the MacBook Air compared to the MacBook Pro with M1 chip or the 14-inch MacBook Pro with M1 Pro chip compared to the 16-inch MacBook Pro with M1 Max chip, Jesus, the mouthful, the, the difference there, unless you have very specific tasks, isn't necessarily worth it a lot of the time. Like you can really get away with getting the cheapest 
you know, find an $800 MacBook Air on sale. For most things, that is going to be excellent. So it's like there's two ways to go here. Like maybe you do want to save up to get the best computer you can. But then on the other hand, maybe you don't need to. There's so many like sweet spots now in the Apple ecosystem of devices that give you so much performance and so much battery life and benefits to less of a cost than ever before. Because usually you were paying, like the MacBook Air when it first came out, it was the premium for this thin and light laptop. It had this like slower Intel processor, but that's okay because it was thin. Now the MacBook Air is a great value excellent battery life and really good performance. So I feel like now, like I kind of mentioned before, Apple computers are a better value now than they've ever been before. At least it's much easier to justify the price of an Apple computer because of that custom Apple Silicon inside. Uh, Another interesting tidbit of news, speaking of Apple laptops, the other only other interesting news uh, from this week was that air power, Matt, surprise, surprise is not dead. Maybe. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting about AirPower is, for those of you who don't know, it was this mat that was supposed to be magical that you could put down on your bedside table, your desk, and you could put three different Apple products anywhere on there and they would wirelessly charge. You could put your iPhone down, you could put your Apple Watch down, and your AirPods down. And it was magic and it seemed like it was not possible, but Apple assured us that it was. And then after lots of leaks and rumors about troubles, which we'll get into, uh, Apple quietly, or at least as quietly as they could, decided to axe the project entirely. Now, I will say that, call me a conspiracy theorist, this might be crazy, but out of all of the modern Apple events of the last five or six years, the only event that I cannot find hardly at all on YouTube, it's on YouTube from third-party news sites, but that's not at all on Apple's YouTube channel, is that iPhone 10 event. Hmm. And that was a really monumental moment because that was the first event from the Steve Jobs Theater. There was a beautiful tribute in the beginning. That was, of course, like I said, that was the iPhone 10 event. So it was a massively popular monumental moment uh, for the iPhone and sort of a big moment for Apple. But it was also where they sort of stumbled on their word and fell on their sword with air power, promising something that never came to be. It's not on the Apple YouTube channel. I don't know if that's because there's a copyright issue. I'm not sure if that's because um, of some other reason unbeknownst to us, or if it's simply because they want to sort of eliminate the traces of air power in their history and just getting rid of that event on the YouTube channel would easily do that. Again, I have to download like, we both watch YouTube uh, videos of Apple, you know, just for fun. Um, but oftentimes I'm like grabbing them as like archives. And that's the one event that like I cannot find um, an official copy of. Now, to be clear, Apple does not put all of their events online. Like the original iPhone uh, keynote from 2007 is like not on the YouTube channel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the last four or five or six years of Apple events. They've got like everything They're on all there. on here. Yeah. But the iPhone 10 event's not there. Yeah. I don't I'm know why, right but just saying. I'm looking right now, and it's going from Apple WWDC 2017 keynote, and then the next event is 2018 WWDC keynote. So they skipped something in there. <laughs> we didn't just go from WWDC to WWDC. That is interesting. And yeah, you're right. If uh, yeah, because after the WWDC, wait, did they, they didn't announce it at WWDC? Did they? No, it was uh, it was that um, nice September event. They did the staggered launch, but that was with the Steve Jobs um, right. that was the first intro event there. and all that stuff. And yeah, it was it was a really big deal, and it was gone. Huh. Yeah, no, it's it's not here. But you're right. If you go just search for it, obviously it's online. It does exist, but it's not from Apple. 
but yeah, no, it's got to be air power because this was a monumental change in the iPhone. You would, you would expect them to want this up there, you know, check out this new phone. This is the first time that we're talking about this new form factor. This is a huge deal, but, uh, yeah, it's not there. That's kind of funny, but you know, what's interesting is they only talked about air power in that event for like two minutes. Like it wasn't a huge, it wasn't like, well, maybe <laughs> I guess what's worse removing the event entirely or like trimming out that section yeah. or leaving it up. There's no win for them. So I guess they're like, let's just pull the event. I, I don't again, I don't know if that's the reason behind this, but if I had uh, to suspect a reason, I think that's what it is. Uh, I, the, the coincidences are lining up too much. I think you're right. I think that makes more sense that they're just like, eh, who cares? Pull it. There's other versions up on the internet if anyone really needs it. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, I wonder if it's on their website though. That That's something we got to try. Um, I'm guessing no, if it's not on the YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, no, that's interesting. Air power was, uh, I, I was kind of going to mention this back at the beginning when we were talking about it, but this is one of the times where pre-announcing really backfired. You know, this they announced this really early, and it was years before they finally said, you know what, we're not making this anymore. And, you know, it's one of those products where obviously they wanted to show it off. It was with the new iPhone 10, It was with uh, the AirPods, and they wanted to show off, you know, that, this is a really cool feature that only Apple can pull off. Uh, so I, I get why they wanted to announce it alongside the iPhone 10. It was just another thing that would really make this announcement really interesting and really amazing. But there was no real reason they needed to announce this so early. Like they could have easily been testing this internally until they got all the things right. And then one day they just announced it like, oh, here we go. Air power is a thing now. But they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Now, interestingly, whether or not they're working on it again, I'm not surprised if they are. It makes a lot of sense that they would continue to work on this. Didn't we see a uh, prototype leak of this, like kind of with a, a clear top to kind of show the internals? Or was that something else? I thought we saw think, a prototype leak of this. I think that was a prototype leak. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like wasn't the issue like it, it – um, what's heat. the word? Ultimately, it came out of heat. Yeah. And there was just too much heat buildup. And there was an issue with the devices communicating. And the idea of air power was very ambitious, but uh, it just didn't happen. And to your point, Matt, I'm actually looking. There is – not the event video, but there are there's a press release on Apple Newsroom on the Apple website of highlights from Apple's keynote event in 2017. <laughs> and I just scrolled through the pictures. Air power is nowhere on there. Not yeah. in the pictures, not mentioned at all. So I'm going to do a Wayback Machine in this moment here to see if there was Ooh. a previous version with it on there. There's got to um, be. But uh, air power is like scrubbed from existence. So, um, so the idea of air power, the mat, is it dead or is it coming back in like one form or another? Well... I guess I think it's coming back. That's kind of the rumor now. It's it's whether or not it's going to be exactly what it is. That's a separate question. Basically, the way air power is supposed to work is, like you said, you can put the the devices anywhere on the on the mat and it would start charging. The reason that's possible though is because if you actually look underneath the mat and see what's actually happening under in the inside, is there's basically a ton of little wireless charging coils laid up all over the place. So no matter where you put your phone, it's going to hit one of those coils and it's going to start charging. It's a it's a cool solution. We actually saw a third party company release something very similar and it actually did work. Um, so it, it, it's a good solution solution to that but i guess because of how thin it was and how much processing it needed to do to detect which products were where uh it just was too hot it couldn't run um i think apple could definitely pull this off it's just 
maybe for the way that they want it to be working with its thin form factor and all that kind of stuff, maybe it just didn't work. And I believe also, wasn't it using like an iOS or not, sorry, not iOS, but like an iPhone level chip, like an A12 or something? Yeah, there was like some special chip in there that helped all the devices sort of communicate with each other. And the idea of it was really cool. And according to Mark Gurman over at Bloomberg, not only is Apple sort of still testing this technology, but also, they're developing new forms of short-form and long-form wireless charging. So one of the things he says is Apple obviously seems to be working on reverse wireless charging where Apple products can charge themselves or other products, rather. So you could charge the Apple Watch off the back of an iPhone or AirPods off the back of an iPhone. The iPhone kind of has reverse wireless charging now, but it only works with Apple's MagSafe sort of um, attachment battery thing. Why do you think it is that Apple still doesn't have reverse wireless charging? Are they waiting to like add some next level thing that makes it way more useful? Or do you think that uh, it's just one of those things that Apple doesn't really care about? I Yeah, I don't know. So with the battery pack, you can charge it. So basically the idea is you can plug in your iPhone through Lightning and with the battery pack on the back through MagSafe, it will charge both devices. We didn't think that was possible because you would need reverse wireless charging for that to work. But apparently is there the question I've, I haven't seen answered anywhere is like, is it really a MagSafe specific thing or is it just that they've only activated it when it detects the battery? Um, I, yeah, I haven't seen anything to that effect. Like if it can do it, can't it do it for more things? I don't, I don't really see the, the difference here. The main thing I can think for not wanting to just implement this for everyone is that if you started using this, I think it would kill your battery life for a lot of people just because wireless charging is very inefficient and then you have to have the coils lined up perfectly on your phone if you want it to really work the best to get that most efficiency so maybe they just don't want to kill your battery life all the time i, I don't know like i i see an argument for not having it it's i've had it on other phones i mean pretty much every android phone these days has it and it's not a feature i've really ever used except for testing it but it is nice to, you know, one feature that I have used, which is kind of in a similar vein, is being able to charge my iPhone through my iPad. That's something I've used quite a bit when, you know, I have my iPad in my bag and my iPhone is running low. So I just plug it in real quick, suck some of the juice out of the iPad, which I'm not using. So might as well suck suck that juice out of there. So it's kind of a similar thing. Um, I Yeah, I don't know if they're – I guess one way that they could figure this out is to use MagSafe to, you know, stick the device onto the back – but then you have the idea of polarity with the magnets. You have the positive, the negative. If you try to do that now, let me get my phone here. So if you try to do the AirPods 3 here with the uh, MagSafe coils on the back, they actually repel each other because the magnets are meant to stick to a charger rather than stick to each other. So that would be something they have to figure out. So that's like physics. I don't know what they would do to get around that. Maybe you'd do like an electromagnet or something. <laughs> I don't think they'd be doing that in the iPhone. Uh, there's a ways around it, I think. I guess one, I think there was a consensus though that the reason or a reason why MagSafe became a thing is because AirPower didn't work. Do you think if AirPower came out and was the, the device that it was supposed to be, do you think we would have got MagSafe? That's a great question. Probably not, because isn't the whole idea of MagSafe partially to sort of get things aligned that would be yeah. great for wireless charging to sort of snap into where it's supposed to go? Um, and it's sort of real-time follow-up here that uh, I went back in the Wayback Machine. The newsroom article never had air power images, Ooh, so, interesting. so we know. That was interesting to know. Um, but also, I didn't realize that it was so long between the announcement and the demise of air oh, power. It was, it was a long announced time. in... 
uh, September, I think September 2017, and they didn't cancel until March of 2019. So it wasn't even canceled that long ago. March no, 2019 yeah. is when Apple finally uh, sent to the Air Power Project to greener pastures. They really tried on that for a while, but just could not make it happen. Um, but who knows? Maybe we see something come out uh, that kind of replaces it. A MagSafe is great. I use a couple of MagSafe uh, chargers that are great, and it sort of clicks right in, which is nice. But I still want the idea, uh, the dream of just anywhere on this mat. I put my iPhone on there, my Apple Watch. Especially the Apple Watch is such a pain to charge because it has to perfectly align with that proprietary uh, Apple Watch magnet charger. Uh, and AirPods as well, just sort of the dream of this multi-device charging pad would still be nice, but... Uh, Maybe we'll see it one day. Uh, yeah, the Apple Watch is interesting because it is a Qi charger, but it needs that magnet connection for it to actually start working. Like, they could easily just turn that off, I feel like. Like, don't, like, if detects magnet, then charge, they could turn that part off, I'm sure. But they just they just don't for whatever reason. That way you could throw it on your wireless charging pad, whatever brand it is, whatever anything, and you could charge your watch. I don't know why they haven't done that. Obviously, like... If you're trying to do with the Series 7, the fast charging, then you're going to want it aligned as perfectly as possible. But it already has Qi built in. Like, just let us use it for everything. I don't really see the... Or, you know what they could do? They could say, like, you can use this for anything, but it's going to be really slow. If you want it to be actually efficient and be fast, you get a fast charge, you're going to have to use the charger that comes in the box. I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to go. I don't know why they don't do that. I mean, I guess it's kind of weird because, like, there's, like, this hump on the bottom. So, like, it does kind of need to go into, like, some kind of divot. So, like, I get that. Yeah, but also, it's but just kind of really. annoying that every time, like, I just went away for a couple of days, I had to bring, okay, a USB-C cable for my iPad Pro, lightning cable for the iPhone, and then, of course, got to get to bring my whole other cable for the Apple Watch because it takes a whole separate thing. So, a little annoying thing, but we'll live with it. It's fine. First world problems. Yeah. And kind of, I guess, piggybacking on that air power. The other thing that they've been rumored to be working on forever is what you mentioned is kind of a long form slash short form wireless charging. And this is like true wireless charging. Basically you have a device plugged into the wall and that is emitting electricity through the air that your phone is then picking up. And this is technology that exists. I think we saw what's the company it starts with a W not Watsonville. Cause it's not a company. It's like Westinghouse. That's what it was. Westinghouse, I believe, showed this off at like CES a few years ago. Um, you can go way back to Nikola Tesla. This is like things that he was working on. There's a this is a possible technology, but again, kind of with air power, the actual mat. The issues are just efficiency, and I guess also you would have to consider safety here. You're sending electricity through the air, so there's a lot of studies that you'd want to do to make sure that's safe. Um, but that's something they've been rumored to be working on for a long time. And I think the one that's the most uh, possible that we might actually see is not so much that you can just charge no matter where you are, but rather, you know, you have your nightstand, you have this little box plugged into the wall, and then you could just put your phone, your AirPods, your whatever on the nightstand, you know, within like a foot of that box and it would just charge everything and you wouldn't have to think about it. That is interesting. That seems like the future. If Apple actually pulled that off, it would be pretty cool just to say that you could do it. But, you know, what 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 I always come back to is like if I'm having to do a physical action to charge my stuff, I don't care if it means I'm plugging in a cable or if I'm putting on a wireless charging mat or if I'm putting it on a, uh, a nightstand that has this wireless charging hub on it. If I'm doing a physical action, I don't really care what it is until we get to the, the point where I just don't have to think about charging because it's always charging no matter where you are. I don't really care what the action is that much. 
And that's, I completely agree with that. And I think that the idea of like walking into a room and like your phones are charging is like sci-fi level, really cool. And I'm all for Apple developing that. But what I would even say, hey, Apple, if you want to sort of work on some advanced wireless charging technologies, why not make wireless charging better and more powerful and more efficient for larger devices? So what if like this Apple mixed reality headset sort of had like an area, like a mat it would go on and it would like charge wirelessly super easily? Or like maybe this technology could get so good that the Apple car, you like pull it in your garage and it's like as long as you have like this like strip on the floor or like this like some kind of contact the wheel goes into, it's not perfect wireless charging quote unquote but it's like a much more um it's easier to do it's a lot more it's a lot less involved and like as long as there's like a little contact wireless charging quote unquote wireless charging some kind of charging can happen much more efficiently much faster and sort of be better i'm all for that i'm all for better wireless charging faster wireless charging like you said matt i don't mind putting my phone down or connecting it to because once i do that once i do that action it's done uh but i would just like that charging to be even better even faster and just take less time yeah exactly it's like once you're doing the action what's the difference really but yeah i totally agree if they can make max they already did a pretty decent job with max if it's 15 watts i believe uh if you have the 13 pro or regular 13 i think it's 12 with the uh 13 mini so like that's significantly faster than what you get on the 7.5 watt you know typical um uh wireless charger that you buy from like any company i think samsung is like all the way up in the 20s with their tech so you know if we can get if we can get very similar speeds to what we get plugged in but with magsafe i'm happy with that I, that would be very interesting and uh, maybe that's a selling point for this air power re-release that they're maybe working on. It's like, not only is it, you know, easy cause you just put everything down on the mat, but it's also super fast. So it's not on the mat for very long. I'm excited for what Apple uh, is working on. 2022 is going to be a crazy year. And although right now things are a little bit more quiet, uh, there's going to be, I feel like 2022, the top, clock's going to tick past midnight. Yeah. We're going to enter the new year. Then it's going to be crazy with a lot of cool stuff. So I'm excited for that. Um, the last thing we had, I don't know if we want to save this for a dedicated episode or jump into it now, is sort of an Apple year in review, sort of going over the highlights. What do you think, Matt? You feeling you want to do it now or you know, should we save this for next week? Let's save it for next week. I think that's a good one to really do a full dedicated episode on. What When we were talking about air power, though, something else we could talk about that got me thinking is, you know, this mixed reality headset. We've got some more conversation, or not conversation, confirmation that that is actually coming in 2022, or at the very least, we're going <laughs> to see it. Uh, now, like we've said in past episodes, that rumor happens, it seems, every other week now. So will it happen? Will it not happen? That's a different discussion. But the the product seems to be real, and it seems like it is coming at some point. Uh, what got me thinking about the mixed reality headset is when you said, uh, oh, they should develop a cool way to charge it. And then I started thinking about my AirPods Max and how you still have to plug in with lightning, even though that could easily, they could have done something there, like even give me MagSafe on one of the ear cups or something. But no, you just have to plug in with lightning. Um, I guess instead of talking about what we think this is going to be, let's talk about what are some of the downfalls you think we're going to get, especially with this first version? Because I have a feeling... Although the tech inside, when you actually use it, is going to be very cool. I feel like there's going to be some pretty pretty big limitations on what you can actually do to it. And I think 
to that excellent point, what a lot of people need to understand that I don't think a lot of people do understand is on one hand, yes, this is going to be like, or it's supposed to be one of these like groundbreaking revolutions in the tech world. It's like the jump from the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad. This is like the next big thing. But there are two products we're expecting. One is the mixed reality AR VR headset that looks like an Oculus Quest. And one is like the refined Apple glasses version that's cheaper and like more mass market. This is the more niche one that's going to be a little rougher around the edges. And I think the one thing, well, first off, having to strap on a headset is going to be weird. And yeah. my biggest concern right off the bat as a glasses wearer is what are the implications of wearing glasses with this headset? Is there a prescription model? Is that going to take longer to get? Can I wear glasses with this headset? Is it going to throw off any of the sensors? For me, my first and foremost, as much as I want to get one, I'm concerned that I can't use one properly with glasses on. Yeah, no, I completely agree. We both wear glasses. We actually have the same pair of glasses, which is kind of funny. I don't know if you guys know. I need that. to get, I need to get a new pair. My lenses <laughs> are so scratched and so I know dirty. mine too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that is definitely something I worry about. Although I will say, I have the Oculus Quest Two, and I could put it over my glasses, and it's fine. It's yep. not, it's not an issue. Yep. So I, I completely, hundred percent expect Apple to have figured that out, and that's not an issue. Um, the other big question I have is, okay, so for this, yeah, I think the biggest issue is the actually having to put on something in order to, for this to work. Whereas with that Apple Glass version, where it's kind of the glasses that you wear, that would, in theory, replace my glasses. So for me, as someone who wears glasses, that would be great because then I just kind of get both in one. I'm already wearing glasses anyway. Um, so that is the bigger issue is because the Oculus Quest I have, it's fun to play games. It's all that. That's all great. But... After 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour max, I'm ready to take that thing off, and I don't <laughs> want to play it for like another day at the at the least. Like usually, it's like weeks before I start wanting to play it again. Uh, so I guess what are the what what's the best ways to use this device that would actually make it worth trying to use every single day? Because I don't think Apple's trying to create something that you use every once in a while. This is in right. their mind an everyday thing that you're always going to be using. Well. That's a great question, too, because, and I guess it's something we're going to find out, is the headset supposed to be this thing that you wear outside of your house? Because <laughs> that a seems a little question. ridiculous. Because yeah. <laughs> I understand the idea of, like, this is the headset, this is what the tech can do, this is for you to experiment, play around with it in, like, the comfort of your home. But the glasses are like you can walk out your um, – maybe that's the selling point of the glasses. You walk out of your house and you have the same functionality built into something sleeker. Um, that's the question for me is, as cool as this is – like you said, you still have to put on a headset. You still have to be, what we're hearing right now, is tethered in one way or another wirelessly to an iPhone. So you have to have those two by each other. And uh, it seems like this is, I don't know, I guess it's something you just wear at home, right? Because you're not expected to go out into the world and have this headset on as you go to Starbucks and wait in line and order a coffee. That just seems kind of crazy. I guess we really don't know what it's going to do and what it's going to offer because we've heard that the tech is, it's mixed reality. There's all these cameras, 8K displays. Like, okay, yeah. so I can see the real world. I can see augmented information in the real world. I can have video chats. There's an app store. All that stuff is great, but what can it do? And is there something it can do that will benefit my daily life enough that I can wear it in public and not be looked like a weirdo? Yeah, exactly. That's the issue is like the things that it's rumored to be doing well, uh, 
is things that I would actually want in the real world. Like I would love to get my driving directions in front of me without having to look at a phone or, you know, I walk in front of a restaurant and Yelp pops up a review and it just shows me on the window instead of, you know, uh, having to bring up my phone. Like those types of things are awesome. They've been the dream of this AR world ever since Google Glass came out Uh, because Google Glass did similar things, but you just kind of looked silly wearing it. And now wearing a full pair of like goggles I don't think it's going to help that case at all. Even if you add like, I'm sure they're going to do the same thing they do with like AirPods Max and the Apple Watch where it's got different bands and it's got different colors so they can stylize with what you are, you know, your fashion type and all that. But that's not going to help when you got ski goggles on your face all the time. I that That's a big hurdle to get around. And well, I guess here's another question. Do you think this? it's possible that this could turn into almost a developer kit, like what they had with the M1 uh, Mac Mini when they announced, well, I guess it wasn't the M1, it was the A12Z Mac Mini when they first announced Apple Silicon. Like, this is something for developers to try these mixed reality experiences, and then we're going to release the consumer-facing product later. I think it's definitely going to be positioned in that way. It's going to be, I think, sort of like the Apple Watch where... You can get it as a consumer, but you really want to be an early adopter and you got to be an enthusiast. I think this is definitely the average person is probably not going to want to pick up this headset, especially if the price tag is like $2,000 or above. This is a very It's a more niche market. I think this is really for developers. I think Apple is really, I think you know, the goal, honestly, is to get this into the hands and on the heads of as many people as possible, specifically developers, so they can develop these apps and games and utilities for it. So when the time comes that they can just basically shrink this tech down to the glasses, which I think last estimate I saw was 2025, then everything's ready to go. All the apps are ready. And then they have these glasses that are sleek, simple. You can go into the store. You can try them on because do you think the headset's going to be like a demo in the store that you can do, or is it something that's sort of like just online? It just, there are so many questions that are unanswered and I see the future of these glasses being like, this is it super simple. I see those in Apple stores. You walk in like the Apple watch, you can sort of try on the different uh, bands and the different um, frames and stuff like that. And the different um, whatever, like the colors of like the, whatever they call it, like the sides are different from you guys get what I'm saying. It's going to be very simple and very cool. The headset, though, is a lot more cumbersome and weird, and it's a little more of a, um, it's a little more off-putting than glasses. And I think that it's going to be much more of a niche product, and like you said, probably for developers, especially considering the form factor and more importantly, the price. And you know, yeah, and it's interesting because kind of going back to the first point that we were kind of mentioning at the beginning is. Maybe Apple is just having to release this early because it's just part of the development. Like maybe they don't have a choice. Maybe this is not the product that they want to actually release. But if they start testing it in the real world, then obviously people are going to see it. So they have to talk about it. Um, And the question I have is, are they actually going to sell it or are you going to have to, you know, or is it like, here's the next step in our AR journey, you know? Or yeah, exactly, because they've done that with other products in the past. So I can easily seeing that see that happen. Oh, that is a really good point. I wouldn't be surprised if it was sort of behind the developer account, so they could sort of limit who has access to this. And I'm sure Apple, being Apple, will make you 
like the Mac Mini that was the DTK, make you apply to get it. So not only are they going to vet you through the process, but they're also going to make you pay for it as well. Because I know myself and I'm sure every other YouTuber on the planet would love to sort of get access to these headsets and sort of see what they're like and do these videos. So would not be surprised if Apple limits this to those registered developers who are also willing to go through the uh, go through the application process and also pony up the money, like two thousand bucks as well. Yeah. Here. So yeah, I think that's probably likely. Here's my guess at this event whenever they do announce it they're going to announce the actual apple glasses they're going to show it off they're going to say this is what we're working towards they're probably going to have a working demo as well like it's probably going to be a real thing that they actually have working uh according to john prosser he has seen the glasses and they do they do exist so um they're going to announce that and they're going to say but it's not quite ready we're still developing it it's going to be a little bit of time so for you developers we have this developer kit so you can get all your apps working almost exactly what they did with the apple silicon transition but obviously a much bigger uh transition a much bigger uh difference and uh yeah i I have a feeling that might be what happens and i wouldn't even be surprised to see that at wwdc Oh, that is a good theory because the way the rumor mill presents this, it was always like two distinct products. It was the headset and then the glasses. The headset was like the precursor. It was sort of more rough around the edges, more expensive, more niche. And then you sort of had the glasses that were more mass market. That would make sense that the headset and glasses worked sort of in tandem that you developed and sort of got your prototypes and testing down the headset and then sort of used uh, the glasses as the more mass market product. That makes a lot of sense. I think it was even German who said that we could see this stuff as early as uh, WWDC 2022. I guess they sort of always make a point to talk about AR and I guess sometimes VR, but this would be sort of a reason to do it. And this is supposed to be really the next big thing. I don't mean to sugarcoat this, but like the transition from the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad, the Apple Watch, the way that those products sort of shifted the tech space This is what is supposed to happen with this mixed reality headset coming really soon. And again, it's going to come in just a matter of months, maybe as soon as June. So get ready because this big shift, this big shift, if I can speak, is actually going to happen sooner than we may think. Exactly. Because the tech, people are obviously working at it. There's tons of companies. Microsoft has HoloLens. Google obviously tried Google Glass. Uh, You have, what's that one company that kind of scamped? Yeah, leap. They kind of scammed everyone out of money, but <laughs> it is a real product. Um, so there are there's tons of money in this space that's going to happen. Apple is obviously working on it. But the reason why this would be such a transformative moment is I know people like to, you know, say like Apple, whatever, people don't like Apple, but whether you like it or not, Apple entering a space like this in this kind of way is revolutionary and it will even if Apple's product sucks and it ends up failing for whatever reason, which I don't think it would, um, uh, that means there would be every other company in the world trying to do the same thing because they know Apple has entered the space. So it's their turn to try and do it. Um, Here's another interesting thing. There were rumors. I haven't heard much about this, but there were rumors that Samsung was trying to do theirs, uh, you know, before Apple that kind of dried up. So maybe they stopped trying to do that. But uh, I think there was even leaked uh, documents or videos of their, you know, mixed reality glasses, but that's a whole other thing. Basically, the point being that once Apple enters the space or there is rumor of Apple re- entering the space, the whole market changes and this is going to be a revolution. The question is, how long are we going to is it going to take to actually get to the point where it's actually good and people want to use it? That's that's really the only question. I have no doubt it's going to happen though. 
Oh yeah, I definitely think that's going to happen. I definitely think we're going to see Samsung and other companies race to make these AR, VR headsets as well. And I welcome Android competitors. Competition in this space is a good thing. But I think what Apple has proven time and time again is that they've got a thriving developer community that can make amazing apps. Like we saw with the iPhone and the iPad and uh, some extent to the Apple Watch and the Mac as well. Uh, but they've got an amazing developer community that will make this have, this mixed reality headset, the best app experience of all the devices out there calling it now yeah definitely and that's why you know we sit through those boring keynotes when they talk about all the ar stuff and it's so boring but what that means is those apps already have the ar experience built in they just have to optimize it for the glasses so it's like apple did this i think very well it's just it comes down to how long before I don't look like a, a dork walking around with these glasses. I mean, Apple has been like laying the groundwork for this for years. I mean, go back to like any modern WWDC, even those not so modern, like two, three, four years ago, Apple has been showing off these interesting AR demos for years. And the sort of ground has been laid. The frameworks are there. There's uh, AR kits. There's other SDKs. Apple is ready to sort of flip a switch and allow developers to immediately take these applications and these AR experiences now and take them to a whole new level with this new mixed exactly. reality headset. Yeah. I'm excited. I don't know about you. I think 2022, we're going to talk about, we'll probably talk about that next week along with our year in review, kind of looking forward to 2022. But it seems like it's going to be a big year. There's a lot of cool products that we're expecting. Um, not only some of these rumored products, but just ones that we are pretty sure are happening, like the new Macs and stuff. So yeah, I'm excited. Year is coming to an end very quickly. I can't believe it's already December, but uh, the future, the future is bright. Let's just say that. Very excited for next week. Also, a great time now. If you're listening this far, first off, thank you very much. We appreciate it. But also, what are your thoughts on Apple's sort of year in review for 2021? What were the best parts? What were the worst parts? What were the products you enjoyed? You didn't enjoy? What did you think was going to happen? Sort of how would you uh, grade Apple if you were in school, giving them a grade on their year, sort of the progress report in 2021? Let us know. You can either dial in or text uh, the uh, Apple Circle hotline number, 949-354-3508. Let us know. Uh, text us, leave us a voicemail, and uh, we can all sort of talk as the Apple community on uh, how Apple did a sort of recap of 2021. As always, Thank you guys so much for listening to the Apple Circle podcast or watching. If you're watching the video version, thank you very much for watching. You can check out our YouTube channel leaved, uh, in the link or leaved in the link, linked in the description. It's left in the link of the description for this podcast, wherever you listen to. And as always, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to the Apple Circle podcast. We sincerely appreciate it. Leave us a uh, review on the podcast app. Also, if you wouldn't mind, that would also greatly help um, boost this podcast up in the rankings. And yeah, thank you guys so much for listening, watching this week's episode of the Apple Circle podcast. We'll see you right back here next week for another episode.